All right, all right. Welcome to uh, North Village Church. You can be seated. My name is Michael, one of the pastors here. It's great to be with you here in uh, person, and it's great to be with you online, uh, on Facebook, on, on YouTube, and we're going to celebrate uh, communion uh, this morning. So if you haven't grabbed one, please, please go get that at the, at the table, the little, little juice there. That would be really, really helpful. We're going to be in uh, Psalm 51 in the Old Testament. And uh, we're going to continue in our series, and looks like our teenagers are taking off to their class, thankful for our teachers every week, pointing them to Jesus, getting to sit outside in the, in the gazebo, and a uh, beautiful day uh, to do that. Hey, before we jump into the passage today, uh, I do, do want to just kind of pause and give a moment of silence. Uh, to the best of our knowledge, uh, this is our last Sunday of worship in this space, and uh, in, in the month of May, that the, the property is going to be demolished. Uh, and, and so we just wanted to acknowledge uh, just what that means and the, the decades that have gone into uh, this space to the glory of God. There are, uh, there are, are people that have been married uh, in this space. They're here worshiping today. There's people that have grown up in this uh, space. They're here worshiping uh, today. And so we just want to acknowledge the prayers, the sacrifices, the tears, uh, the time uh, that, that the Lord has been working and he'll continue to work. And so would you just pause uh, with me and just take a, take a moment of silence? Amen. Amen. All right, let's jump into scripture this morning. I know it might feel a little uncomfortable. We've been in Psalm 51 the last two Sundays, so you might be thinking, haven't we already done this? Uh, but, but God's word uh, is, is designed for repetition. Uh, God's word is living and active. So it might feel comfortable looking at the same passage or hearing the same passage every week, but man, do your best to not check out and in fact, lean in because God's word is designed so that the more you lean in, the more you you get out of it. And, and so if you remember Psalm 51, it starts off with a big hairy story about murder, uh, deception, and adultery that's coming right out of 2 Samuel chapter 11 in the Old Testament. And if you're new to scripture, uh, David plays a key role uh, in the Old Testament. He's the king of Israel. And uh, he, he's launching Israel to the heights of its success. And there comes a point, it says, in 2 Samuel 11, that while the armies of Israel are out in battle, that David stays home. And uh, David starts sleeping in, eating some Pop-Tarts, and, and DMing the neighbor next door. It's even a little worse than that. He's, he's a little creepy. He, he starts stalking the woman next door, peeping in on her while she's in the bathroom. And this isn't God's word. And uh, uh, we, we find out in 2 Samuel 11 that I mean, he... he sins for this woman. He has sex with this woman. He impregnates this woman. He has her husband killed in battle. And then he takes that woman as his wife and tries to cover the whole thing up like it didn't happen uh, until a friend comes and presses in on David, asks him the hard questions. And we get to see in Psalm 51, we get to see David responding in repentance. 
At first glance, it looks like Psalm 51 might be a special psalm for those uh, things in life that are really uh, complicated and horrible. But in our series, we're seeing there are themes, there's a posture in Psalm 51 that shapes our everyday prayer. Uh, Last Sunday, Kevin Jenkins and our special pop and mic uh, walked us through Psalm 51 verse 10, create in me a clean heart. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. If that popping mic got the best of you last Sunday, man, take, take, take Kevin out to lunch. There's so much richness that was in that message uh, last Sunday. I don't want you to miss out on that. This morning, we're going to look at Psalm 51, verse 11, and we're going to see, we're going to see David. Remember, he's being confronted with just the depth and darkness of his sin. And then he cries out in prayer in Psalm 51, verse 11, Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Think about those words this morning. Those are, those are heavy words, right? I'm guessing David is praying these words from a raw place that he's generally wondering. Remember, adultery, murder, deception, all coming to the surface. David has to be wondering, Lord, are you going to leave me? I mean, have you had those types of prayers where you've wondered if the Lord is so disappointed in you that he doesn't want anything to do with you? Maybe there's some sin that gets stirred up and you're just washed with so much shame and guilt that you're wondering, Lord, are you going to leave me? That, that's, where, that's where David is in this, in this verse. I, I know in my life, I mean, I remember early on in marriage, I was, I was in, a, in a pattern of pornography. My wife finds it and sitting down having that conversation with my wife filled with just so much shame and wondering like is this it Lord is this when you kind of give up on me I remember when I I started out in ministry my first opportunity to to be responsible to lead something and I just did horrible it's just a, a trail of bad decisions and and hurting people and remember thinking like so this is it this is when you you call it right even these last 12 months, I mean, I've been talking about my, just this winding in my heart, this anger that's spewing out on my, on my family, on my friends, and sometimes even strangers, and just thinking, Lord, is this it? Is this when you're like, I've had enough? And that's what we're going to dig into, and, and we're going to draw out, what, is it, what does it mean to, to be in the presence of the Lord. And we're going to walk through four subpoints: God's presence lost, God's presence promised, God's presence fulfilled, and God's presence secured. And we're just going to kind of sweep over the, all of Scripture to kind of see that pattern of, of how it unveils. And so our first subpoint is God's presence lost. Because we see early on in Genesis 1 and 2 that that God's presence is filling all of creation. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female. He created them. You see that in chapter one at the very end. He says, this is all good, that they are, Adam and Eve are dwelling in the presence of God, that, that lion and deer are laying down 
together. There, there's no threat, right? That the Dallas Cowboys win the Super Bowl every year. That everything is good. It says Adam and Eve are naked and unafraid, just walking around like, what's up? Like no self-conscious about their body or bad breath. Like everything is just good. This is hard for us to even imagine, but Adam and Eve, in Genesis 1 and 2, Adam and Eve are commissioned by God to cultivate the land, to care for creation without any sweat, without any, any conflict with each other, without any fracture in their thinking or in their emotion, like God's presence is dwelling in all of creation. But then we see in Genesis chapter 3 that Adam and Eve are tempted in sin. And at that moment, when sin enters into the story, it's like God and humanity in Genesis 1 and 2. And then there's a fracture, right? That there's a break in Genesis chapter 3 so that God's presence is lost. That's our first subpoint. Let's look at our, our second subpoint is that God's presence is promised. It makes sense, right? The glory of God can't dwell in the brokenness of humanity and creation and wickedness and evil. And so there's a, a fracture, but the good news is in Genesis 3 verse 15. So early on, God sets out to restore what rightfully belongs to him. Look at verse 15. It says, this is God speaking, I will make enemies of you and the woman and of your offspring and her descendant. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. I know it's vague, but in verse 15, there is a, a beginning of a promise of one that will come and crush the head of Satan. Right? And it'll deliver such a blow, it'll bruise his heel. Right? Verse 15 is pointing us to Jesus. Verse 15 is pointing us to the hope of restoration, the hope of God's promise to bring reconciliation, right? And this is shaping, Genesis 3 verse 15 is shaping all of human history, and humanity doesn't even know it. Like some of you here today, some of you watching online, you might be looking at verse 15 for the first time of like, what? had no idea that this was in God's word. And how important this verse is because it's shaping human history. I mean, think about every human being today is throwing out words like forgiveness, grace, mercy, justice. It all comes from verse 15. And we don't even know it. I mean, think about where those themes, forgiveness, where does that come from? Where does that originate? Love, mercy, grace. Where did that start? It didn't start at the 7-Eleven on the corner. You can't go down to 7-Eleven, get a big gulp and some forgiveness. That's not where it originated, right? It didn't happen at the University of Texas. I know we love UT, but it didn't happen at UT. That's not where truth and grace and forgiveness originated. Where did it originate? It didn't happen in the 1700s with the German philosopher Immanuel Kant. It, it, that's not where it started. It didn't start in the 600s with Islam. Listen to me. Forgiveness, truth, grace, mercy didn't even originate with Jesus 
in the New Testament. You with me? I mean, Jesus is only drawing on Genesis 3, verse 15. This verse is so important. In fact, every time someone today starts talking about forgiveness, love, mercy, this right here, love is love, all that, every time they, they throw out those words and they don't attribute those foundational truths to Genesis 3, verse 15, you know what you can do? You can holler out, thief. You're a thief. You stole it. You plagiarized it. You're not giving proper recognition of where they originated from. Does that make sense? I know it's complicated, but think about it. If I walk up to you today, I wouldn't do this to you, but if I walked up to you today and I punched you in the face, right? Right in the nose, blood spewing everywhere. I mean, that would be painful. And then I say to you, I'm sorry. And then let's say I genuinely mean it. Like, I'm genuinely sorry. Like, do you feel better? I mean, think about it with blood speed. You don't, Asa, right? No, you don't feel, you don't feel any, any better. Are you made whole? When I'm, I mean, let's say I'm sincere. I am sorry. Will you forgive me? Are you made whole in that moment? No. It is sentimental. It is a conjecture at best, a word that is hollow unless it is rooted in the hope of verse 15. The hope of God's presence bringing forgiveness and love and mercy and truth. God's presence. God's presence. Let's talk about God's presence being fulfilled in our third subpoint. Right? God's presence is not only declared in verse 15 of chapter 3, but God's presence is fulfilled in Genesis 12. You're like Genesis 12? Look at that. Look at Genesis 12. Now the word, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. This is it. Genesis 3.15, the stage has been set. And in Genesis 12, the pieces. It's vague in 15. I get it, Genesis 3.15. But in Genesis 12, the pieces start to come together with the establishment of Israel. And it's in Israel that you start to see glimpses of God's presence coming to the surface. Right? You know those times where you've gotten really ambitious about God's word and you're like, I'm going to read the Bible through in a year. Right? It's those moments you get to Exodus chapter 13 and you read about this pillar of fire. You know what you're reading about? You're reading about God's presence, right? You get to Genesis or Exodus 16 and you read about the crossing of the Red Sea. That's God's presence, right? It had been lost. It had been promised and it's starting to get fulfilled. You're starting to get Genesis or Exodus chapter 24, 25. You start to see the tabernacle. Exodus 24, 25, the tabernacle and God's presence is coming together, but it's not the same as Genesis 1 and 2, right? You're just getting glimpses of it in, in, in Exodus throughout the Old Testament. So that's why we see major prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah, and they start talking about God's presence coming and being fulfilled 
like we could never imagine. Isaiah and Jeremiah, they start taking us back to that promise of Genesis 3, verse 15. Isaiah chapter 7 refers to God as Emmanuel, right? We know that. God, God is with us. The major prophets in the Old Testament, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, they start talking about God's presence coming, and they talk about it clear and clear and clear until one day, John the Baptist sees Jesus walking at a distance, and he says, behold, God's presence is fulfilled. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. His name is Jesus. It is in Jesus that, that God's presence is no longer localized to a geographical area. You don't have to go to God's presence, right? You don't have to climb a mountain to get into God's presence. You don't have to gather in a building made with hands to get into God's presence. But God's presence has become a person. God's presence has drawn Near. That's why when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see Jesus saying things like, I have come to do the work of the Father. I have come to seek and to save that which is lost. I have come to set the captives free. What's he doing? He's, he's reconciling. I'm going to come and reclaim what rightfully belongs to himself. I, can't, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly, that we're going to dwell in God's presence don't think I came to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. Jesus didn't come to abolish. He came to do what Adam and Eve couldn't do. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. It is in the life of Jesus that we see perfect obedience. He fulfills the law in, in every way. He does what Adam and Eve couldn't do. And then he stands in our place. He becomes the substitute. And he lays down his life at the cross. He takes our death. He takes our punch in the face, right? He pays the price. He's the reason that there's forgiveness and truth and grace and mercy. God's presence is fulfilled. He conquers death in the resurrection so that all who call on his name are ushered into God's presence. Amen. That's the gospel. Right? That's, that's the gospel that we're ushered into his presence for eternity so that God's presence is fulfilled. That's our third point. Our fourth one, God's presence secured. In John 17, Jesus talks about the security of God's presence in the Holy Spirit. And we don't talk about the Holy Spirit very much. He doesn't get much airtime. We give a lot of time to Jesus. He's worthy. He deserves it. But the Holy Spirit changes everything. Look at some of these verses. Romans 5, the Holy Spirit is the love of God poured into our being. The Holy Spirit gives us victory over sin. The Holy Spirit is the down payment that God will finish what he started. The Holy Spirit gives us wisdom. The Holy Spirit gives us power. The Holy Spirit gives us ministry. The Holy Spirit gives us boldness when we are afraid, comforts us in our sorrow, joy in our affliction. The Holy Spirit changes everything. You see, it's by grace through faith in Jesus that we're forgiven, that we're cleansed, that we're washed, and then the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us and dwells with us. And the Holy Spirit, the presence of God is fulfilled and secured. 
fulfilled and secured. In fact, 1 Corinthians 3 teaches us that when you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, when you believe in your heart that he's conquered death, that the Holy Spirit comes to live in you, that your body becomes a temple unto the Lord. Which means God's presence isn't dwelling in Jerusalem. You don't have to get on a plane to get into God's presence. God's presence isn't in the building of Cumberland Presbyterian Church. God's presence isn't in our new location, right, where we're, where we're headed. We're, we're not waiting to get into to God's presence. God's presence is in his people. God's presence is in his people. David, Psalm 51, he got glimpses of God's presence. But by grace through faith in Jesus, you are cleansed, you are washed. The Holy Spirit comes and lives inside you. The Holy Spirit goes where you go, right? There's no threat of God's presence ever leaving you because you didn't get into, you, you didn't get into God's presence. God's presence got into you. Does that make sense? So wherever you go, God's presence goes. When you log into Verbo on, on Monday morning for that conference meeting, God's presence just showed up. When you show up to Murkison Middle School on Monday morning, God's presence just walked into the building. When you're changing that diaper and you're tired and you're drinking some coffee, God's presence is there. When you're looking through the news on Monday and you're just, oh, the stuff is going on, that God's presence is filtering through the news of the week. God's presence is in his people. Now, that's good. I, I, I could just stop there, right? We could just... Amen and pray. That's so good for us to remember God's presence. But it's so important to clarify that we just walk through a biblical overview of God's presence. But the, the presence of God isn't just intellectual information. Does that make sense? Like God's presence isn't just something to learn. God's presence is something to experience. I mean, remember where we started in Psalm 51, verse 11. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. I mean, David is praying that prayer because he knows what it means to emotionally experience God's presence. I mean, he has tasted of the Lord. He has tasted of his presence. He's experienced. It's, it's good. In fact, he's, he doesn't want to lose it. It's so good. It's not, intellectual information doesn't drive that type of prayer. Does that make sense? Like, it's not just something he learned. He's, he's emotionally thinking, I don't want to miss out on God's presence. And what I'm thinking is that over the last 12 months, I, I'm thinking we, we might intellectually remember what it means to be in God's presence, but maybe over the last 12 months with all that has gone on, that maybe we've forgotten a little of what it means to experience God's presence. Does that make sense? To taste of God's presence, to enjoy God's presence, to, to feel God's presence. It's possible that our routines have been changed so much that our rhythms have been disrupted so much 
that maybe over these last 12 months, our sin, the depth and the darkness of our sin has come to the surface so much and that we've forgotten what it means to emotionally feel and taste God's presence. I know for me personally, I mean, I, I've, I'm in there with you. These last 12 months wearing masks, it's dampening the emotional experience with God's presence. It's just a fact. Us having to change locations as a church family. Like, where is Waldo, right? I mean, just like video, 4 p.m., Cumberland. No, picnic in a park. No, like, that's messed. That's messed with us. We just got to acknowledge, right, just the, the emotional experience of God's presence. What we've encountered in the news every day, every week, every month, for 12 months. There's a dampening of the emotional experience of feeling and tasting of God's presence. And so the challenge for us today is to not let our routines and our rhythms and our familiarity and our questions get in the way of experiencing God's presence. Does that make sense? That's the challenge for us today. Because we need the nearness of God more than we need the routines, right? You know that. We, we need the presence of God more than we need the answers. God, what are you doing? We need the nearness of God, the emotional connection, experience with God more than we need the familiarity of where we're going to meet on a Sunday morning, right? That's, that's what we cannot lose sight of for our church family over these last 12 months that the, the emotional experience with God is more important than the rhythms. Now, I know that's complicated, and so think about it this way. It resonated with me this week as I, as I thought about the, the relationship with my mom. You, you know my mom passed away in February, uh, but just these last 12 months, right, the, the the connection with my mom was absolutely uh, disrupted through the pandemic. March 2020, I mean, I was cut off from any kind of contact with my, my mom. She's in a nursing home. She has Alzheimer's. She has schizophrenia. So they were very protective and cautious as they should be. And so the rhythm and the routine and the familiarity and the answers to my questions, right? I mean, are like just, <laughs> they're just all, all over the place. It, it, one point, there's a, a, a court-appointed state worker who calls me in July 2020. I have to turn in reports of how often I have contact with my mom. And so she calls me July 2020 and says, yes, Mr. Dennis, our records show that you haven't had any contact with your mom since March 2020, and we're just wondering why. And I'm, this is over the phone. I'm like, mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, like, and I'm just trying to be calm. Like, well, um, you know we're in a global pandemic, right? <laughs> she's like, oh, yes, sir. And I'm like, you, and you know she's in a nursing home. So, like, I don't have an option to get to my mom. And she says, yes, sir, I know that. that is, uh, that's a good point. But I, and she says this, what I was thinking is that you could maybe think more creatively 
And you could find creative ways to get to your mom, to have contact with your mom. Like maybe you could go to her bedroom window and maybe tap on the glass and maybe let her know that you love her and that you care for her. Yes, yes, okay, okay. <laughs> okay, so you know, uh, thank you. Thank you for asking about my mom. I, I appreciate that. But you know she has um, Alzheimer's and schizophrenia, right? And uh, so she hasn't recognized me in two years. So I essentially would be like a random man tapping on her window, you know, saying like, I love you. (laughs) I'm like, you know, that would creep my mom out. Like, I'm not going uh, to do that, right? And she's like, yes, sir, I didn't think about that. And it's just, just, I mean, during those last 12 months, it was so incredibly difficult. I mean, the routines and the rhythms and the, the, the familiarity was out the window, but right before she passed away, I, I'm talking to the nursing home on the phone, and I say, hey, can, can I get some time with my mom? And uh, they say, absolutely. And, and so a few days before she passed away, I got to come, and I got to be in her presence. And I can tell you, after 12 months of, of not seeing her, routines, rhythms, questions, phone calls from state workers. I didn't care about any of that. In those moments, I just wanted to be in my mom's presence. Can you imagine how much more of a difference it makes when we're talking about God's presence? It doesn't mean the questions aren't important. It doesn't mean the rhythms and the routines aren't good. It doesn't mean we don't ask questions to God and to each other. The psalmist asked those questions. Those questions are are good to, to ask, but what it means is that God's presence is more important than our answers. Right? That God's presence, the emotional connection to God's presence is more important than our routines and our rhythms. Because we know, we know that, that, that if, we don't, if we don't have God's presence, the emotional connection of God's presence, then those routines and those rhythms, well, they don't even matter, Right? You, you've been there, right? In those moments where you've connected with the Lord in such a way, it's just like, who really cares, right? If God is, is for us, who can be against us? So that's what we need to keep at the forefront of our focus, uh, church family. That God's presence is more important than our routines. And we know that. So in this season, as we navigate this transition of leaving Cumberland, doing some picnics in the park, getting into our new space, we're not just looking for routines and rhythms and familiarity, but we're looking to experience the presence of God. That by grace, through faith in Jesus, that God's presence has come near. We want to taste. We want to experience. So let's, let's lean into that in this in this season. Let's experience God's presence. I know we're being cautious with COVID and mask. I get it. Everybody's approaching it at a, at a different way, but we got to do whatever we can 
to get face-to-face. Remember our call in 1 Thessalonians, being face-to-face with one another. That is a, is a pivotal help in experiencing God's presence, emotionally tasting of God's presence, is getting face-to-face with God's people, right? And when we're together, we could easily complain, we could easily grumble, about this or that and resisting that temptation and instead sharing prayers with one another, sharing stories of faith with one another and reminding one another of the emotional experience of God's presence, of of making key boundaries to our week and our day to get offline, to put our phones down, to shut down the computer, to turn off the news so that we can hear from the Lord, that we can experience God's presence, right? That's what we're doing with Rise Up and Renew. That's what it's all about. We're leaning into the Lord. If you're not in Rise Up and Renew, you're still invited to experience God's presence. That's the invitation for us this morning in God's word. If you've yet to believe in Jesus, if you've yet to be indwelled with God's presence through faith in Jesus, you need to know you are invited to do that today. Do that right now. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. The Holy Spirit will come and empower you and live inside you. Do that today. We're gonna end our time with communion So we're going to take these little cups. These little cups are to help us stay safe during COVID. But this is a way we're going to experience God's presence together as a a church family. If you've yet to believe in Jesus, then we ask you to hold off. But if you have believed in Jesus, then you're going to take that little layer at the top and peel back that top layer ever so careful and pull out this wafer. This wafer is a symbol of, of bread. And Jesus held up some bread is a, is a reminder of his body that's been broken. And Jesus held up and he said, eat of this as often as you will. This is a, a means for us to experience God's presence. And so do that now. And then gently pull back that juice layer. Jesus held up a cup of wine. When he held up that cup of wine, he was reminding us of all the brokenness, of all the pain, of all the punches in the face that we take in life. And he was reminding us that he took the greatest punch at the cross. It's a symbol of his blood being poured out at the cross. He says, drink of this as often as you will in remembrance of me. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your faithfulness to your presence throughout human history. And that you not only promised it, but you fulfilled it and you secured it so that we can walk in it today. I pray every man, woman, and child in you today would be leaning into your presence. That we would be tasting of your presence as we walk around our neighborhoods as we see it in the wildflowers, 
as we hear about the chaos in the news, that it's just your presence that can make sense of that chaos, as we hear about the tragedy and the pain, that it's your power that can make sense of that tragedy and pain, as we, hear, as we feel the darkness and the depth of our sin, that it's only you that can bring healing, eternal healing in Jesus Christ. And to not just do that alone, but to do that with the body of Christ. And to not just do that for today, but to do that for eternity. We thank you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.